0: we're bowed before you to declare and to say that you are a good, good father. That you are a light. A light that shines and penetrates in every dark place that we are in and that we'll ever be in, we've ever been in. We just acknowledge, Lord, that there is no... There's never any darkness that we'll ever experience that will be able to overshadow your, your light, your great light. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for your love and for your, your everlasting, your care. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. You speak through us. We thank you, Lord, that you are our hope and our salvation. And I pray, Lord, that as we are bowed before you, and as we have shared testimonies, Lord, of your faithfulness and your goodness and um, that Lord, our hearts would be that we would just lay our hearts open before you, that we would allow your your work to be um, to be your we allow your word to be at work within our hearts, shaping us, transforming us, Lord be more um, the people that you have called us and created us to be. And Lord, I pray for Conrad as he um, delivers the word that you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray for, um, I pray, Lord, that he would uh, faithfully deliver that word, Lord, with your power and with your strength. I thank you, Lord, that you have called him, that you have anointed him, that he is your servant, Lord, may he just faithfully and obediently um, serve you and um, and speak with your authority this morning. I pray, Lord, for his voice. I pray for um, any fear or um, anxiety that he has, Lord. I pray thank you that that is under your blood and... Um, Pray for his, his voice, Lord, for strength, for clarity, for boldness. And we commit all this into your hands, and we just say thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. Have the children been dismissed for Children's Church yet? It's next week, okay. So, what children are to be picked up in the multi-purpose space? Luke said I should, children should be picked up in the multi-purpose space. Okay, all right, so, all right, misinformation maybe, all right, it's fine. Again, good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. We're about to begin a new sermon series entitled The Storm-Tossed Family. And um, using as a background um, a book by Russell Moore. Russell Moore is with the Southern Baptist Convention. He's been kind of a a prophetic voice for the Southern Baptists recently. And uh, I really like what Moore has to say about a lot of things, but including his work on the family. Um, I would love to make this available to you at a reduced cost. I'll order them this week for $8 if you want one. Um, And we'll subsidize that. uh, There are 13 otherwise out of uh, our, we have a budget line for sermon material. So you can text me now or email me now or email me by tonight or text me and say I'd like a copy and we'll pick up copies and have them available next week. It is well worth your getting um, and having with you. Um, More is going to, as you're going to see, look at the family and marriage through the cross. It is a short jump from where we were in the last series with Paul and the cross, the crucified Christ, the Messiah, but applying this to the family. So if you would like a copy, please uh, just let me know. I'll be happy to provide that um, with you, for you. I got this book a year ago or so when I was preparing to preach the sermon on character formation and never ended up using it. And Jacob um, picked it up, our son, a month or so ago and looked at it and said, Dad, this is a really good book. And um, I said, really, Jacob, I haven't read it. And uh, so we got him one for Christmas, and um, I said, you know, I think this one is, uh, is where God is leading us. And the more I've gotten into it, um, I am so grateful, again, for his faithfulness in directing the word that he has for us in this season. This book fits so well where we've just come from over the fall series on the Messiah, where the central emphasis was upon the cross— the victory that Christ won on the cross over the dark powers. And what this book is going to do, or what this series is going to do, as we look at the scriptures through uh, the series, is going to allow us to apply some of what we learned about the cross and Christ's victory on the cross to our marriages, to our families. And I want to say, if you're a single person, this completely applies to you as well. Because this is family in the broad sense also. It's church family, and there's a, there'll be a, a, a message on the church as family. But we've all all grown up in some kind of family. Um, And whether we're in that now, we have been connected uh, to family. And so there's application for all of us in this uh, series. We get to apply the theology that we picked up in the last series to our everyday lives in this series in a new way. We get to apply that where the message of the cross is so much needed within our family lives and within our marriages... Where battles with the dark powers take place often with behind closed doors that none of us are aware of. And the wonderful thing about last week's prayer time and even this week's sharing time is that we're starting to open the door a little bit more to some of those. What's behind that door where we can be vulnerable with one another, we can pray for one another, and we can be a community together in that. We come to church all dressed up often, at least at some degree. Um, but it's often the dressing up that is just that. That is, we're trying to cover up too often the mess and the brokenness that's been part of our lives, our marriages, and families. But the wonderful thing about the cross is, and the chapter, the title for this morning is the, the, the crisis of the cross for the family, is that the cross reminds us that there is no use covering up anymore. The cross reminds us that it's at the cross that we get to reveal who we are to one who has taken our brokenness, and our sin for us and brought healing to us. As parents, we can keep what happens at home covered up for a while, but as our children get older, and um, they begin to reveal what happens at home sometimes in ways that just keep us on edge, right? As parents, like, what are they going to say next? Um, I heard my daddy say this, or I saw my mommy do that, or whatever it is. And eventually, even as they become adults, in some ways, they begin to reveal what growing up in our homes was like. But again, the wonderful reality of the cross of Christ is that he has overcome the powers in our marriages, our families, and our homes. And he is just waiting, waiting to bring redemption and wholeness and healing and restoration to us. The cross of Christ reveals our brokenness. But if we confess that brokenness, what happened on that broken cross and on that broken one also restores us to wholeness and completeness. When we confess our brokenness, he is willing and faithful to forgive our sins and our brokenness. I'm going to read through a number of scriptures this morning, and you don't need to turn in your Bibles. I'm just, I want you just to listen to these scriptures, and I'm going to reflect on them as we go. Um, but they're all scriptures that have to do with the family. Genesis 2, very early on. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And that word helper in the Hebrew, you've heard me say before, perhaps, is the same, is a synonym that also refers to God. Not a slave, but God as our salvation. That our spouses are to us our salvation. And any of us are married, if we're honest, know that. We've been saved many times by our spouses. Um, Someone knows that. Um, But it's happened time and time again. So this is not helper as a slave. This is helper as in, Adam, I'm your salvation man. You better pay attention to what I'm saying. Husbands, you hear that? But it's also for wives as well. And so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Marriage and family was the original social structure. I teach intro to sociology, and we always talk about structures, social structures. This was the original structure that God created for us as individuals to house us in. The family is a, is a place of secure, is to be a place of security and safety for us in those families. It's to create boundaries for our lives. The family has to have boundaries. It's to create a structure wherein the next generation will learn to follow Jesus and learn to walk God's way. Marriage and family were not a free for all, but there were rules and expectations for that first family, including not eating from the tree of good and evil. But the rebellion of Adam and Eve against the author of those rules brought shame, and it's immediately in this passage. As soon as they sin, they are ashamed. As soon as they have sinned, they are aware that they are vulnerable, that they are naked, that they are vulnerable with one another. And so while the family had been designed by God for safety and for security, it suddenly became that place where we often experience shame at its greatest levels, and we are aware in our families how vulnerable we are to one another. Sociologists point out that no one has more power over us than our family members. No one has more power over us than our family members. Power to shape us, to love us, but also power to wound us more than anybody else. It's it's why teasing in a family is so detrimental. Parents, hear me out. It's why even lighthearted teasing of one another in a family is so destructive down the road, because it happens, it's to, it happens in a place that is supposed to be secure. It happens in a place that is supposed to be safe. And when we as parents allow that to go on, or we as spouses are doing that too much with one another, it ends up creating a sense of, I'm not sure that I'm safe here. I'm not sure that I'm secure here. And if there was anything family was created for, it was to provide safety. It was to provide security for those who are so vulnerable both adults and children. The wounds from the things that happen in our family last longer and go deeper than the wounds that happen in any other relationship because it is in those relationships that we are most vulnerable. It is in those relationships with family that we are most naked. And it is in those places with family that we can be most put to shame because of our vulnerability. It, marriage, family, as you know, is a wonderful thing, but it's also that credible place of vulnerability place of pain. Moore says that nothing will humiliate you more than being in a family. Nothing will humiliate you more than being in a family. It's why some families end up breaking up and people don't have contact with one another anymore because they've been deeply wounded, deeply hurt, they've humiliated each other um, and that's painful in a family system. So the result of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God had immediate effects on the family, not only on Adam and Eve's relationship, but on the relationship of their sons. Because sin not only allowed shame to enter, it also destroyed the intimacy. Um, That is to be part of family life and marriages more than any other place. And we became aware that we we could hurt one another easily. Again, through crude joking, through physical abuse, through insensitivity, through angry words that are never forgotten, through rejection of the gifts we offer one another, our families, and on and on. And what, what struck me recently in a situation I was in is I listened to a family, and not, not in our congregation, but I listened to a family banter with one another, and what they were saying to one another was really cutting, but they were all laughing about it. But they were laughing about it because they didn't know what else to do about it, right? I mean, when you've heard that, Plus they also had clearly become accustomed to it. They were accustomed to it, it had become normative, but that doesn't take away the pain. And so I wanna, as we begin this series this morning, we're gonna do deep work in our families and marriages, looking at what does it mean to to create a place of safety and security that our families are called to be for one another. Parents, that's our calling um, for our children. Not a place without boundaries, not a place without rules, not a place without guidelines, that's not safe. Children growing up without boundaries, rules, and guidelines are not safe, and they know it, and they act it out. Boundaries, rules, guidelines are part of loving in a family and in a church and in any covenant community. They have to be there or it's not love. It's not really grace. And so what happens in this family immediately is that Cain kills Abel. Abel is unhappy. Cain is unhappy because God doesn't like his offering. God doesn't favor his offering. And so Cain responds, he was angry, his face was downcast in Genesis 4, and then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. I hope you hear with me the multiplication of sin. The multiplication of sin and brokenness that's happening in this family. After the initial sin in the Garden of Eden, there were sins like Cain's anger at God's rejection, Cain's refusal to hear God cautioning him about his anger, be careful Cain about your anger, Cain deceiving his brother by inviting him into the field only to kill him, Cain killing his brother, Cain then refusing to take responsibility for his brother, and what is true of this first family is true of our own families. The sins of the parents always get played out in the lives of their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, unless those sins are brought to the cross. And that's the wonderful thing, again, about the cross. It reveals our brokenness if we come to it, but it heals our brokenness. That is, Christ reveals what is broken about us. When we are open with Christ like we were last Sunday, like we were this morning, Christ reveals that we're all broken. Um, that we're not at different places from one another in that. But if we acknowledge our brokenness, that's also the place of our healing. It's, it's the wonderful thing about the gospel and salvation, that if we acknowledge, if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge our brokenness, our darkness, he heals our darkness. He heals our brokenness. Amen? That's where the healing happens. But it can't happen without the brokenness. It can't happen without the... The grace of God can't flow to us if we don't acknowledge that we're broken people. And again, I've said, as Christians, we sometimes are the last to want to acknowledge our brokenness. Because we think we're not supposed to be broken anymore. We're going to be broken till glory, folks. Something about us is going to be broken till glory. Let's just get on with it and acknowledge it. And thank God that we have the cross, that Christ has healed and continues to heal and to restore. So the sins of parents get multiplied in the family system. Unless we bring them to the cross unless we confess them, renounce them, allow the blood of Christ to wash over them, and wash over our souls. And the good news is that it's never too late. And I'm going to talk particularly to parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. It is never too late to confess our sins, our brokenness as parents, and, and to set in motion a spiritual restoration. It is never too late. Your children can be adults, they can have their own kids, But if there are things that you've not taken care of that happened in your family, confessing those to God, and ultimately perhaps if you need to, if you feel God calling you to do that, confessing them, and I would encourage this, to your children, grandchildren, God can begin to redeem the damage that the sin and brokenness has left in its wake. I believe this with all my heart. Somebody has to stand up, though, and to say, I'm going to walk a different life. I'm going to make different choices. And it's never, it's never too late for you to do that. It's never too late to stand at the foot of the cross and to say, as for me and my house, no matter what my childhood was like, no matter what trauma I experienced, I'm not invalidating that, but no matter what your parents were like, saying, but as for me and my house, at the foot of the cross, me and my house, we will make Christ the center of our home and of our marriage. We will invite God to heal us and to restore us. We will love one another, and on and on and on. One of the things we're going to look at next week is that the family is the center often of spiritual warfare. Um, And those of you in families can understand that. I recently sat with an individual who in their late 70s grieved the estrangement that they were feeling and experiencing from an adult child. The lack of relationship and intimacy and this from a father who regularly acknowledges how wrong he often got it with his children when they were growing up. But no more than but but more than anything else at this point in his life desires intimacy with his children, relationships that are whole and healthy that he did not have with his own father. As he spoke, I reminded him that he continues to have spiritual authority in his family. Not his children don't have to obey him, but he's their father. He's still their father. He will always, till his dying day, be their father. And he has a kind of spiritual authority to continue to pray for them and to lift them up to God, to continue to intercede on their behalf with prayers that will be effective in their lives, as I've often said, long after he is gone. But that is the work he can do of praying for them and lifting them up for God, to God. It is never too late. And out of those prayers, God may also reveal something else for him to, him, for him to do, maybe a way to connect with his child or so on. Family relationships are so important that God embeds them in the Ten Commandments with the commandment to honor our parents. I think God knew how easily it would be to dishonor one another in families. And so he says, honor your parents. And as you may know, it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The psalmist refers to the loving care of parents for their children in Psalm 103, probably my favorite psalm. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. I don't know about you, but I find tremendous comfort in that psalm. That God knows I am but dust. God doesn't expect me to be God. I need God, but I ain't God. I am dust. And I take comfort in knowing that his compassion flows over me because he knows I am dust. This Christmas, I had a wooden sign produced for my father that quoted part of the psalm and that thanked him for being compassionate with me as his son. The fact that I could do this reflected healing on my part and on my father's part in our relationship that had been pretty painful up until I was in my 40s. When, as I've shared in the past, I took the risk of telling my dad that there were things that, there there were hurts, There was pain that I had from our relationship growing up. And his immediate response to me was, I know I was not a dad to you. I know I was not a father to you. When I heard him say that, something broke within me towards my father. Because what I saw was a father who was willing to be vulnerable about his brokenness. A father who was willing to be honest and to say, I failed. Who was willing also to say, and I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I wounded you. And again, I want to remind us that it's never too late to say I'm sorry to members in our family, whether we are children with parents, whether we're parents with children, grandparents, uh, siblings with one another. It's never too late to say those words to one another. Because saying this is nothing less than coming again to the cross. Saying I'm sorry to one another is again coming to the cross. It's bringing our family to the cross when that happens. Bringing our family to the cross where that broken body was broken for us so that we could be restored to life eternal. Your saying, I'm sorry, may not change things right away, may never change things in your lifetime, but it may lead you to seeing your child in in the next life. You might not see the change now, but you don't know what those words and that confession and that apology will do to them long after you're gone and I'm gone. Because I'm sorry is an acknowledgment of brokenness. I'm sorry leads us to the cross where the healing can happen, the only place the healing can really happen. I'm sorry leads us towards one another. In the past decade, since Dad and I had that conversation on the porch, just down the street in our home when we lived on Spruce Street, I remember where it was. I remember the moment. Since that moment, I have found my dad to be one of my greatest encouragers, One of my greatest advocates, especially when I'm in trouble, especially when I'm facing a difficulty, whether it's a health difficulty, whether it's a difficulty in my leadership roles that I have, Dad prays for me, Dad counsels me, Dad gets righteously angry on my behalf. Dad does what God does. Dad is a father who has compassion on his children. And so God has compassion on us. I am thankful that Dad and I had enough time to get to this point in our lives. But I don't take that for granted, and neither should any of us. Let's not wait till we're five years from now or ten years from now. If God is speaking to you this morning and says, there's some work at the cross that needs to happen in a relationship in your family, let's do it now. Let's take care of it now, because the multiplication of the goodness of God and the healing is like the multiplication of our failure to say, I'm sorry. It just creates more and more pain the longer it festers and the longer it goes. And so, parents, I want to encourage you not to miss this opportunity and this message this morning to remind you, or children to remind you to say to your parents or to other siblings, no matter how old you are how old they are, that I'm sorry. Don't fear their rejection. It may come. Don't worry about whether they respond or not. God didn't worry about whether we responded or not. God didn't worry about our rejection at the cross. He came and as much as said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the mess you're in. I'm sorry for the brokenness you're in. And at the risk of our rejection and lack of response, he came anyway. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And through that, Christ changed the world. And his life in doing that, his death in doing that is a model for us. That relationships don't always depend on two parties responding to one another for forgiveness. Sometimes it just takes one party to say I'm sorry. Sometimes it just takes one party to say I'm sorry to change the nature and direction of that relationship. Sometimes I or you saying I'm sorry sets in motion a spiritual dimension and and movement that we can't see but surrenders ourselves to Christ and surrenders that relationship to Christ again at the cross. It may take two to create a fight, it may take two to sustain a fight. But for some of us, just saying I'm sorry will end the fight. It may not change the other person, but saying I'm sorry means you can't you're not adding any more oxygen to the fire. That it takes two to sustain that fire. If forgiveness at the cross doesn't start with you in relationship to your children, parents, it probably won't start at all. Why? Because no matter what your child says about you and to you, they are still your child. And we are created with a desire to hear our parents say, I love you. No matter what our pain, we were created with a desire to hear our parents say to you, I love you. I care for you. I'm creating a safe place for you. What they need and always need until their dying day, no matter how old they are or we are, is a parent who takes them to the cross with a simple, I'm sorry, son, and I'm sorry, daughter. I want to close today by offering a time of prayer for you to come forward, simply to be prayed with by others in the congregation. For you to come forward as a symbol of your coming to the cross on behalf of your family or your marriage, Perhaps of a child you're concerned for, a marriage that seems on its last ropes. Maybe it's another marriage and family, not even your own, that you just want to bring to the cross. You have the authority to do that. Perhaps anxieties you have as a parent of small children. Perhaps a sense of curses that you're carrying from generations that have gone before you. Voices of parents that you can't get rid of, that are always there, reminding you what you should be doing, what you're not doing well. Why aren't you doing it better? Pain from wounds of childhood trauma and so on. I just want to remind us that Christ took all of this on the cross, and the only way we get healing from it is to come to the cross as well. Susan.